Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line, from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is Friday, July 29, 2011. This is episode 713. And you don't know this until now when I tell you, but I am not here. I am actually on the road right now with my wife heading down, back down to Texas where our family's at. We're having a little surprise for my father-in-law, and we're going to see our son and help him go look at vehicles and some other cool stuff. So what I did is I went ahead and recorded a show yesterday for you so you wouldn't go a day without a show like I try to do whenever I go away. Today's show is awesome, though. I actually recorded this show Wednesday. I'm doing the intro the day before uh, because we have Stuart Rhodes, the founder of Oath Keepers. We'll be bringing him on the line in just a second. And we have some really cool things that Oath Keepers and survival podcast communities will be doing together uh, to work to help remind our veterans and our law enforcement officers and our active duty people that they take an oath first to the Constitution. They don't take an oath to any man. They don't take an oath to any office. They take an oath to the foundational document that provides the basic freedoms of our nation. So he'll be with us to talk to us about that, uh, along with his new operation, Operation Sleeping Giant, in just a minute. Before I bring on Stuart, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is KnifeKits.com. And what's cool about KnifeKits is if you want to start learning how to build knives, they're the place to go because you can find anything you're looking for there. You can find some pretty basic stuff that's kind of like you do the final fit and finish, sharpening, polishing, stuff like that. Or you can get completely raw materials if you're a master bladesmith to make your own knife. You can get exotic materials there. I'm wearing right now around my neck a knife made for me by my good buddy Patrick, and he he got this stuff from Knife Kits to build it out of actually the handle material, and the handle material is made out of mammoth tusk. I was really excited when I got the opportunity to work with Patrick on, on getting a knife built for me with that. Um, because it's just something you you just don't walk down the street and you know walk in your local sporting goods store and go I'd like a knife a knife made with uh, with mammoth tusk candle please uh, it doesn't work that way so when you learn to make knives you're not only getting a new skill set you also open up the ability to customize and do things that are unique and you know a knife you're going to carry every day maybe you want it to be kind of unique maybe you want to go into business for yourself making knives for other people uh, maybe you just want to do it because it sounds fun well knife kits is the place to start what you you know start looking uh, for the materials the information the resources so you can become a great knife maker, including DVDs and books on how to do everything. So you're like, I want to do this. I can see and get the stuff there, but how do I do it? They have that information for you too. Next up today, Sawtooth Tactical. Sawtooth Tactical is veteran-owned, and that means you get the kind of service you'd expect from a veteran of our United States Armed Services, honorable, uh, on time, and committed to making sure that you're happy. Uh, in, from a, an American company based in Idaho, and all the stuff that you want for that tactical lifestyle You'll find that tactical, uh, Sawtooth Tactical. Uh, right now he's carrying SOE Tactical Gear. He's carrying, uh, Magpul Magazines. And he's carrying so many other really cool things. If you've never stopped by Sawtooth Tactical, run by the survivalpodcast.com sometime today. 
Click on his banner and go check out some of the cool stuff he has. Great pricing, great service, and a commitment to taking care of the customer. That's why I do business with Sawtooth Tactical, and that's why I'm happy to have him as one of my sponsors on the show. Next up, remember, do connect with me. Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter are the best ways to do that. I put stuff out on YouTube. I'm trying to do it maybe once or twice a week now. I'm putting out some stuff again as we've gotten settled in. I try to put stuff out on Twitter and Facebook every single day. I get a lot of information from you guys that I can't fit into the show. I really do a lot of information sharing with Twitter and Facebook, and I do a lot of interaction on Facebook. If you have something you want me to comment on or whatever, it's a good way to reach me. Uh, like I said, I can't get everything that comes in on the show. I just don't have the time and don't have the emotional, spiritual, and physical bandwidth to do so. So I use these other outlets as ways of communicating with my audience. Also check out our forum. It rocks. Great relationships there. Great information there. Check out our gear shop. We have some cool stuff in there. Uh, check out the sheaths for the, for the uh, Swiss Army Trekker knives. Uh, check out the coins. Check out the bottle openers. They're all inexpensive, really practical, good, useful things that you can add uh, to, to, your, uh, to your everyday carry or to just some cool things to have around. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content that is available only to members. You get discounts to uh, 29 different uh, supporting vendors now. Over $100 worth of free ebooks. Uh, you get the point. You support the show at 20 cents an episode, and if you use the program, it puts way more than $50 a year back into your pocket. So with that, I've kind of wrapped things up, and as I said, we do have Stuart Rhodes standing on the line. Stuart is the founder of Oath Keepers. Stuart, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. I appreciate it very much. I'd like to be here. Stuart, for folks maybe that haven't heard me speak about Oath Keepers uh, before or maybe didn't catch your first interview, could you just tell us a little bit about the genesis of Oath Keepers, where it came from, and uh, what its mission is? Well, the, the genesis of it was during the um, during the last presidential election campaign, I was working in Nevada for the Ron Paul campaign, and when I realized that he was not going to win the nomination, I knew that there was not going to be a constitutionalist in the White House, whether it was McCain or Obama or Hillary at the time. It didn't make a difference to me. And I knew we were in big trouble, deep kimchi. So I figured I'd put, I better focus on the guys who would be getting the unlawful orders. And so I, we turned our focus on the military, police, and also firefighters and other first responders, all of whom will be put to the spear if ever there are, or, or when there are unconstitutional orders given, like happened in Hurricane Katrina. And so I had served as a paratrooper, and I, I got together with other veterans and also veterans of, of police and fire, and, and uh, we formed Oath Keepers. And our mission is to make sure that all the current serving understand their oath, but also that all the veterans understand their oath. And that's what I, want to, what I want to talk about today is the responsibility of veterans. Yeah, and I want to talk to you a lot about that, too. One thing I want to make sure that people understand, though, uh, when you mentioned turning our focus toward the people that would be carrying these unlawful orders out, we don't see these people as enemies. We see these people as people that if they'll follow their oath, they're actually the hope that we have in this country to restore the balance that's supposed to be here. Right. Well, it, it goes like this. It's a two-pronged mission, one side to reach out to the current serving. And, and yes, we, we, we have a feeling, this is my conviction as, as a foreign paratrooper. I know the guys I served with had courage. Um, so they, they have courage. There's no doubt about that. And they have a sense of honor. But the only question is whether they have the knowledge. And good people and honorable people can do bad things if they think those bad things are lawful, like what happened in Hurricane Katrina where they went house to house and disarmed American citizens, you know, who were not rioters, who were not looters, who were simply trying to defend their property. And so even good people, good cops and good soldiers can do bad, very bad things. 
So they're lacking knowledge. We all went through public school. We were all dumbed down, intentionally not taught our heritage, not taught our history, not taught the Constitution. And so we have to give them that knowledge that, they, that they're lacking. And you said something very astute on the last interview I had you on that I'd kind of like you to reiterate a little bit about, that when you go into service in this nation, it's constitutionally required that you take an oath, and the oath be to uh, the, the document, not to any man. That's right. In Article 6 of the Constitution is the oath requirement. It requires every officer of every level of government from the president all the way down to the local dog catcher must take an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And in state offices, like a state police officer uh, or a county sheriff, the oath is to the U.S. Constitution but also to the Constitution of that state. And it doesn't say, I swear to obey the leader and die for the leader. That was the oath to the Fuhrer. You know, the oath to Hitler was like that. You know, it doesn't say that, nor does it say, you know, like in England, the oath is still to the queen and her progeny. And in this country, the founders made the oath requirement to the Constitution itself. And it's a constitutional requirement, like you said. Absolutely. And I, I really want to talk about kind of your big spearhead push now. You're really working hard to reach all the veterans and say, you know, we need to be prepared uh, for whatever may come our way in the future. And you're calling that Operation Sleeping Giant. I love that term. Correct. You tell folks a little bit about what Operation Sleeping Giant's all about. Well, we look at the veteran population in this country, those who are not awake. Some are, but those who are not awake, they're like a sleeping giant. And I really feel like the veterans are going to be key in whether or not uh, American freedom in this republic survives. And so if the veterans are asleep at the switch and not paying attention, it's it's not going to be enough to reach out to the current survey and say, you know, don't violate our rights. Next time there's a, like, say there's an economic collapse, don't, don't follow unlawful orders. If your veterans are not awake and their, their communities are not prepared, then there's going to be more of a justification for trying to pull the plug and declare martial law, and you'll see more police and military go along with it because in their mind it's a real emergency, like Katrina was. And so, if you're not squared away in your, your old local AO, if you veterans don't have your, your stuff wired tight and have your communities prepared, then your neighbors will clamor for the FEMA trucks to come in. They'll want federal intervention. They won't mind having troops on the streets because in their mind, that's the only way to have security. And as Dr. Evan Vieira has been pointing out for many years now, and he's completely correct, it's our own negligence, because of our own negligence, that we don't have a real militia anymore. It's out of our own negligence we don't have sheriff's posses anymore. It's out of our own negligence that our local communities and our states are very, very weak. And the feds have filled that vacuum with NORTHCOM. They've filled that vacuum with, with uh, FEMA. They've divided the United States up into ten regions. You know, the FEMA map is the same map as the NORTHCOM map. And they basically, you know, flipped the founder's design on its head. Instead of strong people who are their own security as the militia and as their own sheriff's posses. They've turned that upside down. They want you to simply vote and then watch TV. Don't get together with your neighbors. Don't form, you know, a sheriff's posse. Don't revitalize the state militia. They don't want you to do any of these things and just leave it to the feds. And they're federalizing all of our police. And, you know, they go along joint task forces and fusion centers, and they're, they're indoctrinating our local police to think that anybody, especially veterans, who wants to take personal responsibility for their own security is a potential threat. So, like I said, they've, they've turned it upside down and then they're demonizing, <clears throat> basically demonizing the concept of the fully involved citizen that the founders intended us to be. That's being turned into something bad. 
So that's what we're up against. And if we don't get our crap together and get squared away, then when the economic the economic collapse comes, we will be in a situation like during Hurricane Katrina. We have desperate people accepting um, what basically could be called martial law, or at least a, a rule by fiat and a violation of the, of the of the Bill of Rights. You know, it's amazing how we're all the same all over the world and how certain topics that I bring on the show uh, intermesh with each other. On Wednesday this week, I did a, a review of a, a video called The Man Who Stopped the Desert, and this guy over in the Sahel region of Africa in Burkina Faso. And this guy's an uneducated guy, son of a peasant farmer that's come up with a new way to farm because his goal is to provide his people with food sovereignty, which is a word that we don't hear often, but when it comes down to it, it's one of our most basic needs. And I have today with me a constitutional scholar, but it always comes down to the same thing. If the people of any area, space, region, city, town, state, nation can't provide for their own needs, they will take it from someone else, and they'll give up a hell of a lot to get what they need instead of provide it for themselves once they're at a point of kind of no return. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. If you, you know, this is a free lunch. If you're not going to, you know, the founders learned from history. They understood that the only way to answer that ancient question of who shall guard the guardians is that you must be your own guardian. And when you advocate that responsibility, you cannot expect to be secure and free when you have, you know, the Uber state being placed over you to supposedly take care of you, take care of you, you'll be like a bunch of herd sheep. And that's what we're turning into in this country. And you have like on on you. Let's tell everybody right now your website where people can go and learn more about just about Oath Keepers, uh, but Operation Sleeping Giant specifically. It's Operation Sleeping Giant.com, and I'm there right now. And I want to maybe cover like four areas that you guys are really bringing up to people. It's right on your front page. Uh, it says time is short and we must get the veterans to focus on. And the very first one is food, fuel, emergency medical, and communication security and independence. Why, right. do you, why do you feel it's so important now that our veterans specifically start to look into that? Well, I think, I think we're heading for an economic collapse. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called When Money Dies about the Weimar Germany hyperinflation. And, uh, you know, the parallels are pretty shocking. And you can look back at what happened in Argentina just a, just a, decade, a decade or so ago. And it's also the parallels very shocking. And so we should just realize, like, like I said in one article there, there's an article about getting off the USSS Titanic and getting back on the, you know, the USS Constitution. We need to just accept the fact that it's going to collapse and embrace the suck and just get ready. And, and we start with food first because it's the one thing that's the most difficult thing to improvise. You know, if, you go, if you're going through a famine, you can have all the guns and, and, and uh, bullets and you know, and band-aids and all that you want. But if you don't have food, then you're very weak. And you're going to be, you know, much more desperate and your neighbors will be more, more desperate also and more likely to accept uh, tyranny. So food has to come first. I think it's the most important thing, the hardest to improvise. Yeah, I've always said you can't eat bullets, and if you do, you eat them only once. Um, so definitely I'm in <laughs> agreement with you that we have to square away the food issues. We also have to look at, and your next, your next one on your list here is physical security and individual independence. Right. Like I said earlier, uh, we are very weak right now. We're weak in our counties. We're weak in our states. And what we're supposed to be doing, what the founders wanted us to be doing, is that we, all of us, would be the militia of the state, and we'd be the backbone. So any kind of emergency at all of any, of any sort, whether it's riots, whether it's an invasion, whether it's an insurrection, you know, all of those things are supposed to be handled by we the people as the militia. That's the safe place to put military power, but 
So both in the military realm and also in the law enforcement realm, we've we've after, we've um, allowed our responsibilities to be taken over by professionals. And so we don't have a, a national militia anymore, and we don't have a sheriff's posse. But the sheriff should be relying on us also. Yeah, the, you the, know, the county who, who he relies on, not a joint task force. We need backup. He should be relying yeah. on the people. Yeah, you know, I'm like. I, I think a lot of people don't understand the original role, role of the militia. I mean, and, you know, people think, okay, the militia was for if the British came back and decided they changed their mind, or if, if France decided they wanted a chunk of America, or, or, or any, you know, foreign uh, enemy came over and tried to take over the nation at a point where we didn't have a standing army. And it, it did feel that as part of its role, but the militia was more than that. The militia was if there's a flood. You know, they sent out the National Guard and FEMA today. At one time, the militia was the organizational structure that the community came out and helped itself, right? Right. When you look at the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, talks about calling forth the militia to repel invasions, to suppress insurrections, and to execute the laws of the Union. So the militia was supposed to be, you know, the internal security of the United States would be handled by the militia. Their standing army was for external threats, to be sent overseas, fight overseas, you know, so this is this is like I said, this is a safe depository of power is in the people themselves. But we what we have now is a, is a reversal of that. We've got our national guard, which left of the militia, um, is, is just the national guard being sent overseas, and they're not here at home to take care of things here domestically. And so what do we do? They, they establish North Common. They give us a standing army uh, combat brigade of over hundred thousand troops here inside the United States. And there's been some very um, Scary scuttlebutt. We're hearing that this government is preparing for an economic collapse, and they're preparing uh, for domestic deployment of standing army troops. They're training. We just got a, a, a notice this morning from a Boston area police officer talking about how they're going to be doing uh, military training exercises in Boston, in the Boston area. Uh, the mayor just announced today. And they're going to be doing this under the auspices of preparing troops for foreign deployment in urban areas. Mm. But, the, but the cop that wrote in said, "Give me a break." You know? Yeah, because there's a lot of places <laughs> over. There's a lot of places over in Iraq and Afghanistan that look like downtown Boston, right? Yeah, exactly. And so he's like, "Hey, come on." So this is so you know. So there's been lots of this as a little sidetrack. There's been a lot of scuttlebutt and rumors we've been hearing coming from different people within the military that look, they there's going to be an economic collapse. The government knows it. They're just not telling the people, and they're not preparing the people for it. They're just preparing for control of the people. That's Correct. A huge distinction. We don't have a, a strategic grain reserve anymore. That's gone. Um, there's no more civil defense program whatsoever to speak of of any real, you know, use. And but instead, they're really focused on riot control and containment, Jersey barriers, and all that kind of stuff. Is is, is what's going on? And the latest rumor we heard, and I still need to substantiate it. So I have to just you know. Qualify it. It's just a rumor, is that they're forming up special, like 700 man units um, within the National Guard that would be used to enforce martial law if it should ever be be required. Is the the quote we got from an officer, and he wouldn't go beyond that. Wow. So just trying to confirm that. I'm not sure if you want to put that on your show or not. But no, I'll one. put it on my show. I mean, it, as long as we're, okay. we're, we're, we are stating that it's not a confirmed, we don't have a document. We, right. This we're is, trying to confirm this, it. This is, so, this is uh, what would you call it at this point? I guess you would call it... Um, scuttlebutt. scuttlebutt. We call it scuttlebutt. Okay. Yeah, well, definitely. You get enough, but you get enough scuttlebutt, and it all tends to point to the same result. And, I, you know, credibility is the, is the corner of the realm. I'm not going to... And try to it's absolute until I have confirmation. 
But I think it should be a heads up to people that look, you know, pretty likely trouble's going to be coming, and you can't expect your government to respect your rights. And I want to tell you, because I know we're probably going to have some people that are listening to this episode just because you're here from your organization, that I, 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 I'm going to tell you as someone that lives and breathes this stuff every day on the economic side of things, that I think you're absolutely right, Stuart. And when I look at the economic situation, this is what I see coming. I think that right now we have hundreds of cities that are on the verge of bankruptcy, and we have at least half of the states, it's more like 35 states, that are also on the verge of bankruptcy. The cities and the counties are beginning to fall, and they're running to the states. And I put out several articles about this recently. Jefferson County, Alabama is the, the latest one right on the edge of a bankruptcy. And, of course, the state of Alabama steps in and says, we'll do whatever it takes to prevent this. But the only reason the states are bailing out the cities and counties right now is so that their bond rates don't go up because they want to preserve their ability to borrow more. Of course, our nation's in debt beyond its means as well. So at some point, all of the cities are lining up going to the counties or going to the states to go to the feds, and the problem at that point becomes overwhelming. And I think what we end up with it is a rebasement of the currency. And to everyone out there that thinks that having a gold-backed currency is the way to go, let me tell you, that's only true if you do it in a way that makes sense for everybody. This nation has been just basically screwed over. It's the only way I can put it by coming off of gold, going back on to gold, coming back off of gold. And there's no reason to believe if we go back to a gold standard again, they're not going to extract a massive inflationary spike out of the people. Because if you control how many dollars go to an ounce of gold when you rebase a currency, you can say it's 5000 or $10,000 per ounce when you do that. You can create a massive instantaneous spike. So, yes, you had $100,000 in the bank today. Tomorrow you have $100,000 in the bank. But unlike where the currency just goes away from printing, what happens is your what you would call your relative currency strength within the nation appears to be relatively stable for a little while. But since we're such an import economy, eventually you, you see the inflation come through. It comes in one big chunk. That devalues the debt, and then they can, quote, unquote, fix it. But the massive amount of pain that will create – Tanking of the stock market, loss of jobs, loss of purchasing power um, will cause this very uprising. People that um, have been able to feed themselves will no longer be able to feed themselves. And what I, you know, one of the quotes. If you're on the Middle East, they can't afford to eat. That causes that. That's what kind of finally does it. There is no way. This is from this, 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 this farmer in Africa said this, and this was amazing to me. He said, there is no way to make people nasty faster than to make them question their security. And I think that's exactly where we're headed. So I think you guys are, are dead on about the biggest the biggest trigger that we could see cause this. There's other things that could cause it, but it's it's definitely. And on that note, one of your next tenets here is economic security independence. So people need to do what they can to preserve their individual wealth through this. Right, absolutely. And that goes for not just, you know, having gold and silver, but also becoming independent with uh, what we call liberty trade skills. And we're working with Alt Market, alternate, the Alternate Market Project is alt-market.com. And that's been run by Brandon Smith, who used to write under the pen name Giordano Bruno. Uh, I'll be working very closely with him. And another, another project he's about to launch is, is, is an effort to, um, kind of a, a refuge state effort, like a free state project effort for Montana and, and Wyoming and, and Idaho. And when it comes to Wyoming, we'll funnel people towards the free state Wyoming project, which already exists. But Brian is moving out here to Montana, where I live now, 
and we're definitely going to encourage folks that if you can, you should get out of the cities, and, and if you want to come to Montana, we, we will help you. We will set up a network here to help you find a job and find a house because we, you know, it's certainly my best interest to have good folks here in Montana. So, And I think there's a lot of that going on uh, in, in a lot of different locations, and I'm with you on out of, especially the major cities. Um, there's, there's this, and I think that people need to understand something here. A lot of people say that, you know, the people that are moving out of the cities, we're just misleading ourselves, that when tough times come, people will come out to try to take our stuff. And I'm going to tell you that history has shown when, when these things hit, the unprepared actually go to the cities because that's where the FEMA truck is that's going to, you might, if you stand in a long line enough, you know, get, get two or three MREs that day or a, a bucket of rice or something. And, and that is the history. And what that means is, is these, you know, relief and containment efforts are set up because the two go hand in hand, right? That's, that's where the center of activity is going to be. So I'm not saying freak out and run away and, and, and up into the middle of the mountain tomorrow morning, but I'm saying understand the risk you're living with if you live in a, in a metro area of Los Angeles or San Francisco or Houston. Well, like I was just reading the book on the Weimar Republic and, and, and had one quote from a woman in Hungary who said that, you know, they were poor and couldn't afford, you know, to go buy anything, but they still had food because they live in the country and they still had food around them. And the folks in the city, in, in contrast, didn't have food and were, and were, were starving because the farmers were holding on to their food and eating it themselves. Uh, or trading them in the local economy. And so and the other big point is that, like you said a minute ago, uh, a lot of folks are worried about, like Rawls calls the golden horde. But if you're in a strong community and you've got, and you have squared away your local um, sheriff's posse to back your sheriff up and you've got all the veterans woken up and, and prepared, I mean, every VFW hall, every American Legion hall should um, have a food bank, should have a food storage room and, and, and medical supplies and, and combo gear and all the things they're going to fuel and all the things they're going to need to take care of themselves and their communities. That's the, that's their responsibility. Do you that's see kind of maybe the VFW? Don't be Do you see maybe the VFW sort of becoming the new militia? Well, I, I don't feel like that. When we talk about militia, we're very careful about that. Because yeah, it's a demonized word. We're I know it's a demonized hey. word. I mean, in the in the in right. the in the in the classical positive sense. Well, we should, we should, if we can, we, you know, in the best case scenario, you would have your county establish a militia, a real county militia. It's like you have a county volunteer fire department, which I, I served on one here in Montana. It's volunteer, but it's established by the county. You're an unpaid volunteer, but you're, you're under command of the county. Mm -hmm. And, and the police chief, or the, the fire chief that they appoint. It's similar for a militia. That's the ideal situation. Is, you know, who would be in charge of that if we did it right? Who in the county, you know, do we have to create a county office for that? Or is there right. someone who's already would there? Do is you, well, like, like, that's, like Dr. Vieira says, we should be, it should be like a committee of safety is established in the county. On that would sit the fire chief, the police chief, or, or I mean, the, I mean, the uh, sheriff. And, uh, you know, the fire chief and then a few other people involved like the emergency planner, whoever the emergency planner is already in the county. And then they would set up the, the, the rules for electing officers. And then you go ahead and you, and you elect or appoint officers, probably elected by the men, sure. and you form up your, your county militia. But they're under command of those officers who are under command of the, of the county. So, so that's how it was done back in the founders' era. So that's the, the ideal. We're looking at that's the ideal. Just so, I, so everybody can hear this and, and make sure that, 
Because I, I think this is a very different way than most people think of a militia. The, the committee right. talking right. about there's the chief of police, the county sheriff, and the, and the, 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 the fire chief. If you, that's the thing. That's the ideal if you got it squared okay. away, you know, constitutionalist in those office. Um, if you don't, then the fallback would be your neighborhood watch. And people should try to focus on, uh, we're going to encourage them to focus on both. You know, do what you can through official channels. Try to get them to have a real, because a real county militia, one of the big advantages of it is now you're part of the state. And so right. when the ATF wants to come in or try to push you around and say, hey, bud, I got, you know, sovereign immunity under the state. Yep. I'm part of the state infrastructure. Go so talk to the sheriff, back. dude. Get out of here. Right, yeah, and the sheriff, and on the, on the, and on the law enforcement side, that's the advantage of a sheriff's posse. You form up a sheriff's posse, I mean, even if the sheriff doesn't have one, you say, okay, sheriff, here, here, we are the, you know, the local VFW hall, American Legion hall, all of us, here's, here's our names, whenever you need us, all you gotta do is, is call the post commander, and we're here. Okay. That's your posse. That's like an ad hoc posse. Same goes for your neighborhood watches. While you're trying to get your county to do the right thing and establish an official county militia, go ahead and start a neighborhood watch. Because, you know, that's what happens in the, like during Katrina, you had ad hoc, uh, you can call them neighborhood watches on steroids, you can call them militias, but they took care of their local communities. They kept looters out and they, they patrolled the streets, you know, and so there's a kind of a really neat uh, video on our site from an interview with the Utah National Guard Sergeant Joshua May, who was in Katrina, and he talks about how he, when he first got there, they were in a rural area, and the, the locals, local men had formed up militias. And were patrolling the streets, and they were kind of nervous at first when the National Guard showed up. Once they realized the National Guardsmen were all like, you know, rural Utah guys sure. who were not going to disarm them, then they were cool. Then they, yeah. they all got along great, and they helped them. They gave the National Guard all the intel they needed on looters coming in, and, yep. and they helped each other, and they worked together just fine. And, and that's, how that's, the guards supposed, that's how the Guard's supposed to work. And I think one of the big problems we had with Katrina was we had people coming in from New York and Chicago trying to enforce New York and Chicago-style laws yes, in you had, you had rural counties in southern Louisiana. Yeah, you had, you had uh, police officers from New York where guns are outlawed um, trying to disarm people in traffic stops and, and almost getting in, you know, almost causing, you know, firefights. Absolutely. And luckily the local guys were able to chill them out and, and let them know, look, yeah. it's not illegal down here to have a firearm in their car. Absolutely. So... so um, one thing I want people to understand, though, is you're, you're, this Operation Sleeping Giant, Oath Keepers in general, it's not just, okay, it's, it's going to happen, we're going to be prepared for when it does. You're also trying to take some steps to educate people and try to mitigate the eventual calamity, because I think a calamity is going to come in some form, but it can be the, the plane coming down from 30,000 feet at, at 250,000 miles an hour, or it can be kind of right. a, a soft crash. And part of what right. you're doing is your fourth tenant here, working with, with your state in the type of things we're talking about and going more political with it and working on state sovereignty and nullification issues to try to right. try to mitigate this. I look, I look at it like the analogy I used in that one article on the site is, is that we've been conned into sailing on the counterfeit fiat system called the USS or the uh, UNN Leviathan. You know, we've been conned into, you know, putting ourselves under an artificial system that's not long-term sustainable and is not freedom-enhancing. And so we have to do is decouple from it. The rest of the world's already starting to decouple from the fiat dollar and the fiat system. So we should do the same thing and get right back to what we should be, which is strong local communities with gold and silver in our pockets, hopefully with a sound money bill like Utah just passed. Um, and from the bottom up, 
strengthen our communities. Because if you start with yourself in your in your neighborhood, in your local veterans organization, in your local church, and you can just keep working your way up to your town, your county, and then your state, doesn't make a difference when it goes up. If it if it happens before you get all the way to your state, that's fine. That's fine. You're still better off now than you you know than you would have been if you had absolutely, absolutely. So put the focus on on preparedness and. And but but community preparedness, not just individual preparedness. You know, so that's that's the one problem with a lot of preppers is they're so worried and afraid to talk to their neighbors about their preps that their neighbors not prepared. And so you know, you, if you're a veteran, especially, I think you have a duty to step up and be civic-minded and be public about the necessity to get scored away. And you be a leader. You know, mm-hmm. lead your community to get stronger. At least all the if, if all the veterans at least like it like triage, right? Um, the veterans are the population that I can talk to who are most likely to get it because they've at least had training in, at some point of, on worst case scenarios and SOPs and you know immediate action drills and you know some pretty nasty stuff they, they trained for when they were in the military. So I think psychologically they're more likely to accept what's going to happen and be ready and you know willing to do something about it rather than putting their head in the sand. You know, I think the other thing that makes them like the sleeping giant, like you're saying is the guy like you or me that served for a few years and then got out and went back to life, we can now look back and we can remember to being 18, 19, 20 years old, believing in the officers that led us and, and realizing that at that time we have may, may have done some things that we really uh, wouldn't have done if we knew the full the full Monty, so to speak, because at that age, and you you don't go serve in the military at 18, uh, to get rich. You don't go serve in the military at 18 for glory. You do it because you believe in something bigger than yourself. And that belief, when controlled by people that don't necessarily have the nation's best interests at heart, can be harnessed. And the military in some ways can become like a gun. Now, good folks step up and say, I'm not going to do that. And in fact, you're even taught that that's what you're supposed to do. But it gets very murky for a 19-year-old kid with an M16 with a bunch of scary-looking people looking at him in a tough situation. Right. And knowing what to do is not easy and when we get a little older and a little wiser, we realize the level of manipulation we were subject to at that age. Oh yeah, and it's definitely. And here's the other thing: is they're not taught the Bill of Rights, even though they're, even though they're, even though they're taught the UCMJ and the laws of war. Um, they're not taught the Bill of Rights, and some of the youth here at home, they don't have um, a, a you know a checklist in mind. They don't have limits in mind that are consistent with the Bill of Rights. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, if they're if they if they come in with only the UCMJ in their heads, mm-hmm. and they're being told, well, we have to go through here and you know do do the coordinate search stuff we did in Iraq, they might do it. Well, of course, they, they I mean, most of them will because because they don't. You know, the Constitution doesn't apply to people in Iraq. My view is it actually right. does. We just don't we don't handle it that way. The Bill of Rights is not a list of rights that your government gave you. It's a list of rights that the founders looked at and said, we better at least put this shield in place for the people to say that the people have these rights because they were granted to them by their creator. However you define your creator, it was granted to you, whether it's evolution or God or whatever. You have those rights as a human, and government shall not interfere. So to me, that actually applies. If we were living the way our country was founded, we would respect those rights with people who live outside of our borders. Right, but the system of laws are different, and, and we and we do have right. a system of military right. law that can be that can be applied to, say, an occupied country. Um, but we do not have a system of law that allows that to be done here at home. And so, whatever can be done to a foreign enemy cannot be done to the American people, at least not under the original intent. They had been. This is a big problem that kept me awake at night when I was a student at Yale Law School. 
is I saw that in the name of fighting the war on terror, had a resurrection of ideas of of almost like complete and total dictatorship that were first thought of or through first articulated during the Lincoln administration and then by FDR during World War II, claims of power to um, incarcerate American citizens in military detention and even try them by military tribunals. You know, both Lincoln and, and FDR did that. And then you had Bush pick that up and, and claim those powers also. And now they're in Obama's hands. And he's, yeah. Who's he, who does he see as the enemy? <laughs> yeah, and Coolidge, and Coolidge did this as well. They rounded people up with no um, no warrants, no anything, and just said, you're going to stay here until we tell you different. Uh, so it's, it's not right. without precedent. And the classic example from World War II is, the, is the, of course, the Japanese internment, mass internment of American citizens of Japanese descent. Uh, but there was also the case of the, the eight German saboteurs who came ashore, and one of them was a citizen. But the FDR said, I don't care if he's a citizen, he's still going to get a military tribunal. And he was a U.S. citizen. And the problem with that is is that now that's been taken, and in the context of the war on terror, they, they admit of no separation between what can be done to external enemies and what can be done to us, the American people. They, there's no difference. They will take you and intern you if they if they think you're a you know, quote-unquote, unlawful combatant. They don't care about your citizenship. You won't get a jury trial. You don't have a right to a grand jury indictment. You know, none of those things. And, and it, they takes, right to circumvent. it takes a statement that this is what you are for that to happen. That's that's the problem. There's not even a jury executive branch. that says, yeah. which which class do you, it, it just takes somebody in power saying, oh, you're a, you're, you're a domestic terrorist, and then, at that yeah, point, you're an unlawful combatant, and now they can they can just you know you don't get the normal criminal process anymore. You get the special process of just military law under the commander in chief. You know, so and not even the UCMJ, just yeah. will as commander in chief. He can set up tribunals. So it's a really nasty. And this is something Judge Napolitano has written about. Um, many many people have written about this problem is that they've taken the laws of war and have kind of brought them home, and they're claiming the power to treat the American people just like the Iraqis. Or just like the Afghani's under 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 the right circumstances. Now, here, help the person out right now who's thinking, well, if somebody's trying to blow up buildings, I want them treated that way. Help help the person understand how this actually applies to you more than you think it does. Well, I mean, look, look at the treason clause of Article Three. It, it says right there what you do with an American who makes war against his own country or who aids and abets the enemies. He is he gets a, a trial for treason. And the founders understood that that was the worst thing you can accuse somebody of. And had been used by many British kings to to silence political opponents. That's what, that's what the Star Chamber was: secret evidence, secret witnesses. They torture you till you confess, and then they execute you. This is the background. This is why they put the treason clause there. It requires a trial in open court in front of a jury of your peers and two witnesses to the overt act. And so, for those who are so afraid of terrorists that they're willing to throw that away and scrap the Bill of Rights, quite frankly, they, don't, they should just go to someplace else. Move to move to London. Move to England. Or some other country where you could be more secure. Go to China. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite writers, yeah. my, one of my favorite writers for Backwoods Home Magazine is Dave Duffy, and he was talking about that attitude of you know go somewhere else, and, and how people sometimes say, well, why don't you go somewhere else? And his point was because I have nowhere, I have nowhere to go. If you want any more tyranny, any more oppression, any more government handouts, any more socialism, any more of anything you can dream up with. There's a place you can go and get all of it you want. For people yeah, like us that want to actually live by the, the foundational principles of the U.S. Constitution, there is no place for us to go. So the only choice we have is to defend it here at home. Yeah, and besides that, if you swore an oath to defend the Constitution, you 
have a duty to do so. If you don't like the way the Constitution's written right now, you don't think it gives enough power to fight terrorists, then sponsor an amendment. I don't justify violating it because you think that, well, things, times have changed. Otherwise, you're just like the liberals who want to a living, breathing Constitution. No difference. Correct. I see no difference between a neocon who wants to scrap the Bill of Rights to go get it, go get the bad Muslims. I see no difference between that guy and a, and a freaking communist who wants to scrap the Bill of Rights to, uh, usher in his utopia. I see no difference. At all. I, I completely concur with that. I also, I wonder how you would answer this. I, I, I was asked this in a radio interview that I did, and, and I know how I answered it, but I'd like to hear yours. And it was basically, when we were talking, we were, ended up talking about Oath Keepers, and you know, I mentioned I was a founding member, and I was asked by the, 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 the interviewer, well, but how does your oath still apply even though you're no longer serving? Because you agreed to do certain things like follow the orders of the officers appointed over you and stuff like that. And they're not appointed over you anymore. You, you, you know, you, you, even your reserve requirements over. How does that oath still rep- apply to you? Well, I think it applies in the sense that even though you're not under, you're not under orders, that's true, um, it applies in how you keep that oath. The current serving keep it first and foremost by refusing to follow unlawful orders. The orders must be constitutional because your first oath is to the Constitution, not simply to follow orders. And I, for officers, the officer's oath, for example, says nothing about following orders. It just says, I will defend the Constitution. The enlisted, the enlisted man's oath does say, I will defend the Constitution and obey the orders of the officers appointed over me and of the commander-in-chief pursuant to the UCMJ. So even there, it's qualified. It must be a lawful order. But what I tell them is, look, you know, the veterans have a responsibility and a duty to defend the Constitution by the means of all of the other responsibilities the founders expected of us, like serving on, on, a, on a posse or, or the militia, um, like serving on a jury, like throwing oath breakers out of office. So if you vote for someone you know is going to violate their oath, then what's that make you? I think it makes you an oath breaker too. So we need to start being much more strict and much more conscientious about defending the Constitution through all the means available to us, not simply by being willing to fight and die. I, I agree completely. And, and my response was that when I stand up and put my hand up and I, I end what I'm saying with, so help me God, just because I get a piece of paper that says my time is served does not mean that oath ends. I actually meant it when I said it. And I think most veterans feel that way, but they're just not, unless they're in touch with you, they don't really know how to to be empowered that way. They know how strong the machine is because they used to be part of it, and, and now they're not sure how do we stand up and do something about it. But Sleeping Giant is the solution to that. You want to tell folks like how they can get involved with that and what you're looking for from the community with it? What we're looking for there is we, we really want to be a boots-on-the-ground effort. And so basically every one of you out there, whether you're veterans or not, but especially you veterans, um, just go to the go to the web page. Look at those four planks. All they are is common sense, and then start working on your local veterans hall. I don't want. I'm not going to try to have every VFW member join Oath Keepers. It'll be nice, but I don't really care about that. What I prefer to see is they already have a building. You know, they've, they've got a building. They've got money. They've got their officers already elected. Why not? Why can't they just go ahead and, and accept the responsibilities within their own hall? Square away some food storage, some fuel storage. You know, they got their own infrastructure already. Don't reinvent the wheel. Use that. Get them strong. I want them all to be strong. And I could care less if they join Oath Keepers. But go in there and talk to them about preparedness. If you want some of Oath Keepers to come talk to them, we'll find somebody in your state. But if not, you go do it. You know, we're looking for the, for the website. What we want there is for it to be a, a resource. And we want it to be 
a place where I say they say a VFW commander said, okay, I see this, I need to do this. What can I do? Um, we're going to provide hopefully some good standard standardized list of equipment, recommended recommended gear, um, some SOPs you can establish. Like, hey, look, here's how you establish your combo network. Have some good combo guys, some good uh, ham operators get in there and say, look, Mr. VFW commander, here's the best way to get started with this. Here's some videos, and you know, here's some here's some written work. So we want people out there to start sending us any articles they want to submit or videos they want to submit on how to do things. We'll have our veterans check them out and kind of vet them, and we'll post them on our site, and that'll be a, a nice resource for everybody to come to. Whether they're an Oath Keeper or not, they can go there and learn about how to do these things in their local community, whether it's a church or, or a veterans organization. Um, that's the one big goal. Down the road, um, it would be nice to tap into, but, you know, if folks want to talk about this stuff, I'll probably send them to your discussion forums, you know, for now, because we don't, we don't really have the, we've got to set up mods and all that kind of stuff. So I'll just send them to your forums. They can go discuss things there and ask questions. Or if they want to join Oath Keepers, we have a section in our uh, members-only forum that does have a, uh, does have discussions on this. But the main thing is they can go to the site, use it as a resource, and also submit their knowledge. And if they want to sign up to help, We'll have a place for them to do that also on the side. They, they can they can sign up to be an area coordinator for Operation Sleeping Giant. And as I said to you when we were talking before we got on the air today, I'm going to set up a Sleeping Giant board on our forums uh, where people can discuss awesome. this, learn more about it, and uh, and any of your folks are absolutely welcome there. I think this is a common problem. I think it's something that affects all of us. From our strongest to our weakest, they're going to be affected by this. And what I what I really love about what Oath Keepers is doing is it's not under the radar. It's not uh, run off and, 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 and build a bunker in the middle of Idaho, in the middle of a mountain, and don't tell anybody, even your brother, where you're at, so that when the end comes, you can hide and eat MREs while the while the cities burn. It's let's let's do something to try to mitigate the the coming calamity. And if that fails, let's at least be prepared for it. And let's yes, because. It, it drives me crazy when I hear certain people from the survivalist industry like go, well, I got mine and, and the heck with everybody else. That's, that's what being prepared is all about. And I, and I ask, are you really going to let the 83-year-old woman on the end of your street starve? And if you're a veteran and you're talking that way, shame on you. I mean, it's, 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 it's disgraceful. And, and you guys are standing up and saying, we have, we have to be not, not the people that make it through to the other side, but the people that shepherd our communities through to the other side. Right, and I'm not going to fault, you know, the guys who. It's a, it's a tough line. I'm not going to condemn people who say, "Look, you know, I don't think it's. I think it's too late. I don't think it's going to work. I'm just going to take care of me and my family." I'm not going to fault them, and so I don't want people to think that, you know, I'm trying to insist that you off to do this. But if you're a veteran, you've got duties. So there's that double-edged sword. You know, your first responsibility is to your family, of course, but man, right behind that is to your country. And I look at them. Look at them as not mutually exclusive. If I don't have my squared away, a squared away community here, then my family is at risk. And it's going to be much tougher for me and, you know, my son and my, my wife, you know, and my children to, to protect ourselves if, if everyone around us is falling apart. So I, I look at it as being, you know, two things at once. So it's a, it's a tough question though. So yeah. I'm not going to condemn people, but I, I don't condemn them, but I, well, I actually, if you're going to let the 83 year old woman at the end of your street, Starve you, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'll condemn you. I mean, I'm serious. Like, that's just disgraceful. But I also look at it this way. I mean, the guys that want to be the gray man, I can, I can, I can see that perspective. Yeah. They, they just, yeah. they, they want to, you know, they want to be under, under the radar. <clears throat> and hey, you know, like with active duty military, there's some that have contacted us and said, look, we, we, we agree with what you're doing, but we're not going to join. And I can understand why they would. Sure. They don't want to be purged. 
Yep. Um, that hasn't happened yet, but it's something that could happen. It's happened in history. And, and, and so I don't for know them, I, I use the analogy. Well, I, I, let, me, let me just finish this analogy okay. real quick and just tell you. So for them, I use the analogy of an iceberg. It is kind of nice to have a visible tip. Yep. Um, but it's also nice to have that big mass underneath that can't be quantified yep. by the powers that be. They don't know who they are. They can't root them out. They can't purge them. That is important for active duty. I think it is. But I agree. For veterans, what I was going to say, not, not as important. Yeah, so. we can we can stand up. But the people that are in there, I would rather have them be quiet and be there than be loud and not be there when we need them. And, and my right, hope exactly. that if this is ever really comes to a head, that the farm boy from Iowa when he's pushed to do something he knows not to do, is going to remember more about being a farm boy from Iowa than someone that's supposed to follow an order just because it was given. Because that's the point hope. of being a citizen soldier. Right, exactly, right. And what's the advantage of even the National Guardsman? I think you're more likely to get that from a National Guardsman than you are somebody who's a career military guy. So, unfortunately. Not saying that there aren't ones who will. Sure. I think there are. But it's just human nature. If you're if you're a national guardsman, this is your weekend job. You don't really care if they kick you out. So what? You already have a job. If you're a whole, if you're on base housing and your wife and kids live there, and you know you're over in England or something somewhere, or or even just back east, and you're far from home, and you're kind of relying on the military for your paycheck. It's a lot tougher to stand up. I'm not saying they can't, but it's a lot tougher. And the tougher the economy gets on the outside, the harder it is for that person on the inside to be able to, to, to take that risk. Because, let's face it, if the right. economy's booming and they whip you out, well, I'm a veteran, I go out and I talk to people, I go get a job. If people are losing their jobs left and right, and at least I'm putting food in my family's plate, it, it becomes a much tougher struggle. And again, as I say, when you're an 18, 19-year-old kid fresh out of school with wet ears, you don't really understand some of the things that you're being taught and the military is very efficient. I'm a huge supporter of the military, but that efficiency has an ability to either be used appropriately or to be misabused. Right. Well, that's that's been the, the problem with warriors throughout history is that they can, you know, the, the highest calling of a warrior is to defend, you know, the innocent, to defend the people. But they've been turned throughout history. They've been turned on the people, and we've seen it over and over again. And so that question of what, what they do is, is really critical. And we saw, in, you know, 1989 in Germany, you know, when the East, when the, when the wall fell and East Germany was liberated, the military did stand down and refused the orders from the Communist Party to, to use force against the protesters. And so that was really, really good, a really good example. There's been standing down yeah. in Egypt, too. Some of the Egyptian troops have said, no, we're not going to go out right. and these crowds. Well, you know Gunter Spence, right? He's, he's from Texas. He was an yep. Eastern colonel. And his interviews on our website, you can go watch that video interview with him, talking about the stand down in East Germany. Like you just said, yeah, it was done in Tunisia, it was done in Egypt. So, you know, that's just one thing is that people in the Patriot movement are so um, cynical and so despondent that they think that, oh, yeah, they're all going to follow orders. It's not necessarily that way. I mean, if, if the Tunisians can do it, we can do it. So I'm not saying I'm not going to blow smoke and say, "Oh, don't worry about it; they're on your side." I can't guarantee that. But the point is, is let's not give them up. Let's not let's not presume that they're going to be your enemy. Let's do what we can to reach as many of them as we possibly can. And then, but then while you're doing that, also you've got responsibilities as a veteran. So this is back on you know on them. Yeah. I don't think a veteran has the same justification for for being a gray man that a current serving guy does. What's your justification? They're not going to kick you out of anything. You know, so yeah. what is your reason for not standing up? So, 
Well, I also tell you, I put it to, uh, I won't say who, because if I describe it too much, people can figure out who it is, because it's a, somebody that I have a very close relationship with, but a law enforcement person who I was talking to once about Oath Keepers, and basically he had somewhat of a little bit of a negative view that he could be ostracized for it. And uh, I said, but all it is is saying you won't do these, these things here. And he goes, well, we would never do that anyway. I said, then why wouldn't you reaffirm your oath to not do it? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me, but I can understand some of the stigma. But I want to talk about some, because we talk about a lot of, you know, harsh things today. There are some people out there that are getting the message and doing the right thing, specifically in law enforcement, and we were chatting about these guys. And maybe you could inform people about some people that are standing up and honoring that oath and doing the right thing. Uh, for instance, uh, there was a police uh, chief in uh, Quartzsite, right? Well, actually, there, there's uh, 10 police officers in Quartzsite, Arizona, um, who accused their chief of police okay. of corruption and abuse of civil rights and, and basically arresting people. The accusations of the officers is that the police, the police chief will target people for arrest because they're political opponents. And he's abusing the NCIC system and doing background checks on people also. Not for investigation of an actual crime, but because they're political opponents and trying to dig up dirt. That's their accusation. And their letters on our website, uh, we call them the Quartzsite 10, because they're just, you know, 10 stand-up officers who have just said, hey, we're not going to violate our oaths. We're not going to follow unconstitutional orders. We're not going to violate the rights of the people. So it's, it's a really good example. And they also, we also have on a site there uh, an article by uh, Sheriff Richard Mack, who's on our board of directors, talking about um, a sheriff in Grant County, Oregon, Glenn Palmer, who stood up to the U.S. Forest Service, and another sheriff in, in Oregon, uh, Sheriff Gilbertson, is doing the same thing. And so there's two articles about that. So, you know, the, the, there are good stories out there, and, and it's good to remember that, but not all, you know, it's not all police and not all sheriffs are sold out and, and are not going to follow the Constitution. There are, there are some who will, and, and there are good ones out there. And so we just want to increase the numbers. And I think one way we do that is by shining a very, shining a very positive light on the people that do. And that's, that's another thing I love about Oath Keepers. When these people stand up and do this, you feature them right on your front page and say, this is what it looks like when somebody actually follows their oath and does what they've sworn to do and actually believes in protecting and serving the people. Right. And this is what it looks like when they don't. We've, we've got yeah. examples there of, of, of the, the opposite, too. We think it's important to, to show both. We're not going to no, blind eye bad behavior. Yeah. So try to find a balance. We don't want to be too negative. Yep. <laughs> There's bad video all over YouTube of, yeah. of violations of people's rights. And so we, we do talk about some of that sometimes, but it becomes overwhelming. It really does. You know, I wonder if some of these people, like, it's not even just about a rights violation, but don't you have anything better to do? There was this uh, police chief recently in, in some city in Georgia that went and shut down a little girl because she had a lemonade stand, and he gave a big sob story about how he has to do it and all. And I'm thinking, you know, all you got to do is just turn your head a little bit and drive on by. You're a chief of freaking police. I know there's something you, and the mayor's backing them up. You know, there's got to be something you can do that's going to help your community more than shutting down a little girl with some country time. Right. What's the point of being a peace officer rather than just a law enforcer? You know, a peace officer, the mission is to keep the peace and not just to enforce whatever stupid law that the local politicians pass. And that's where they need to use their discretion. They have discretion. They could, they could, you know, they give you warnings rather than give you a citation all the time. So they, officers need to use their discretion and remember their, their first role. They're supposed to be there to protect and serve. 
And who were they protecting when they shut down a lemonade stand? They're not protecting anyone. <laughs> you no, know, really. He, he no. was like, his no. whole thing was like, and we don't know who made the lemonade. We don't know what was in it. We don't know how it was handled. I'm like, well, the little buyer girl. Beware, was, right? That's on the buyer. Yeah. It was, I trust the little girl. Yeah. It's like, well, I'll tell you who made it. The little girl made it. Um, she did it by taking lemons and sugar and mixing them in with water. And, and now she's selling them for 20 cents a cup. You have all the information you need to know to know that it's not toxic lemonade. Uh, and I won't go off on a tangent, but there's plenty of stuff in our food supply we shouldn't be eating either. Um, so maybe, you know, and I think you're right, though, that, that law enforcement officers need to start using their judgment. And it's amazing the contrast you'll see, you know, when dealing with law enforcement. When you're dealing with someone who does, it's almost always a pleasant experience to deal with law enforcement as long as you didn't, you know, knock over a liquor store. When you're dealing with somebody that doesn't, it's just one of the most maddening things to think that my my sacrifices and, and, and my money are being used to empower you to abuse what you're supposed to be doing. Right. That's where they cross the line from being a peace officer into being, like I said, just a, a, you know, a mindless enforcer of dumb laws. There are plenty of laws that are just plain stupid that don't have to do with anybody's actual you know, safety whatsoever. They're just there because the powers that be want them there, oftentimes to enforce monopolies or to give special favors. So, you know, and I think there's all these... Bodies. There's all these checks that are supposed to be in place against things like that. One, if a juror won't convict, the law has no teeth. If the law enforcement officer goes, not going to enforce that, it, it, it can't happen. And if Congress would look at it, even if it gets done by executive order or a previous branch and say, we're not going to fund it. So there's, there's all these methods in place in this genius system that we live under as a republic to mitigate stupidity. And yet we live with it, we tolerate it. Well, discretion at every level. First, the officer has discretion. Then, then the prosecutor has discretion about whether to even even prosecute. And he doesn't have to. And his first duty is to do justice. And sometimes that means not prosecuting. I've had cases like that as a defense attorney here in Montana, as a criminal defense attorney. Um, the judge has discretion. The judge can you know kick a case out. Trust me, a judge can kick a case out if he wants to. He'll find a way. And, and then after that, even if you're then the jury has discretion. As you know, a jury has the power. To gentle, you know, to to acquit even in the face of the law, and uh, I wrote I wrote an article along with Don Doy, the founder of FIJA, recently. Uh, it's on LeeRockwell.com about the power of the jury. It's part of the discretion. It's part of the system. And the governor has discretion. He can grant, grant uh, clemency, and the president can grant you an absolute pardon if he wants to. And people don't freak out about that. They accept that as being necessary. And but, but they don't, they freak out about the jury. It's, just, it's the same system. It's, like you said, every step along the chain, there's discretion to let people go, even in the face of the law, even if it's clear they violated the law and, and the facts are clear. And the reason why that's there is because our default is for freedom. Our default is to do justice. And sometimes you can have even a good law applied unjustly. And so that's why all of those uh, levels, all of safety valves are in place all the way up. Yeah, um, and I, you know, I know it's a little bit off of the the topic of Oath Keepers directly, but uh, I've got one of the the most informed constitutional people I know in the world on the on the line with me right now. Well, I don't you know just, about that. I, I, I do, I do. I, I've, I've heard you talk, and I've read your writing, and uh, I know your educational <laughs> yeah, background. Uh, so don't undersell yourself. But could you give people just a little bit on the reality of jury nullification as we wrap up here today? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's what the jury does. And even, even my professor at Yale Law School, Owen Fiss, you know, he didn't, doesn't like juries. He likes judges. Um, very liberal professor. Wait, say that again. He, say that again. 
you, your professor have a of juries? Oh, yeah. Professor at Yale Law School, Owen Fiss, my procedure professor, he admitted that, look, this is what a jury is for. It wouldn't make any sense if all we were the fact finder, you could have professional fact finders. You could have professional you know, handwriting analysis experts and, and body language experts and all that kind of stuff, analyzing facts, forensic experts. You know, so the jury is there to be a check on power. That's what it's for. And that's how it's been from the very beginning, back to the Zangler trial and back to, to, the, to the Penn trial in England. If you find that article I did on, uh, um, I'll, I'll post it on our site. I'll make sure it's on top of the site when you, when you, when you, uh, broadcast. Okay. So right. I'll make sure it's up there at the very top. Folks can read it. Cause it's a critical, once again, that's another obligation. When you get a jury duty notice, you are obligated to go. Don't, don't shun it. Don't shirk it. Go and do your duty as a juror, but make sure you understand your full power and be ready to do it. Absolutely, um, because I've, I've heard of cases where people bring it up and they're basically told, you shut up, you don't even say that word while you're here on this jury. And um, right. well, I, I mean, you, you don't have to, you know, you follow your conscience, and we talk a little bit about that in the article, that, you know, it might not be the best thing to walk in there and go and announce, I'm a FIJA advocate, you know. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> right. I'm talking about as you get into the case at some point, you're on the jury, you're sitting there, and, and, and or a defense That's, attorney brings it up and goes, this you is You don't have to explain yourself. You can, just, you can just say not guilty. Not you don't guilty. need to explain yourself. Yeah, the jury is not required to explain anything. That's, that's what's kind of cool is they, they don't issue an opinion. They don't set precedent. They only sit for one time, one case, to do justice in that case. And no one has, they, they, they don't have to answer to anybody for when they acquit. They can just acquit. No explanation. So that's their power. All right, and the so courts recognize that, but then they still, but they, they say, oh, the jury has the power, but not the right to do this. So we don't have to tell them about it. That's <laughs> ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So folks that want to get involved with Oath Keepers, they can go to oathkeepers.org. They can take the oath. They can right. join and support what you're doing. Well, and the oath is, people that aren't, is the one you took in, in the military. We're not asking you to take a new one. Just, yeah. just keep the one you took. And yeah, you can certainly join. You can submit a testimonial. Just tell us about your service, and uh, that's free. And and if they join us, then they can go to our membership-only forums and, and and talk to their oath keepers there. We do have free state forums. They can join their state forum where they live, even even if they don't join oath keepers. So, but yeah, it's, it's forty bucks a year to join. And uh, even if you're not prior service, you can join as an associate member. So you can you can come in and just help support our mission. Yeah, that was something I wanted to get out and make sure people understand is if you believe in what's going on here and, and you're willing to basically follow your own conscience and stand up for your own community and you want to support the work that, that Stuart and Oath Keepers are doing, just because you weren't in the military or law enforcement doesn't mean that you can't stand up and become a member of Oath Keepers. Right. And we, and we do, when we, when we hold public events, we do let folks know that if they want to renew their oath or if they've never taken one and want to take one, for the first time, that, that we do allow them, we do permit that to happen. We, we do welcome them to, to do that, and they'll take like a modified officer's oath, you know, because we're not under orders. Sure, just take a, you know, pretty much a plain, discipline oath to support and defend the Constitution against all in foreign domestic. And I would follow that up, folks, with uh, with a quote from one of our founders: "Who are the militia? They are the whole of the people." Uh, and as part of it, being a citizen of this republic, uh, to me, you are part of the guardians of the republic. Uh, it's just whether or not you decide you're willing to fulfill that obligation. Right. If you don't, you're an oath breaker. And throughout <laughs> history, that has been, you know, pretty much a damnation of your soul. That's how it was. Correct. Correct. In fact, the old, the old term that gets wrapped up in the witchcraft warlock actually means oath breaker. It's not a, a male witch. I know that's kind of off topic, but, uh, it is right. no, you're right. a very derogatory yeah. slur. A warlock is someone who breaks their oath. 
Yeah, because you, you took an oath. I mean, it was, it was considered to be, you know, really sacred, sacred, sacred obligation. Taking that's why it says, "Tell me, God, it's a sacred obligation." So that's how I see it. And so, folks that want to get involved, you can go to oathkeepers.org, and if they want to know more about Operation Sleeping Giant, they can go to operationsleepinggiant.com uh, dot or .org. Takes them the same place. Okay, uh, I think we've pretty much covered the stuff we had talked about. Is there anything else you want to leave with people before uh, we wrap up today, Stuart? Well, I just, I just encourage you to get involved. I really want this to be a grass, you know, grassroots on, boots on the ground kind of thing. We're just, you know, just wrestling with logistics. But um, on our site, on the Operation Giant site, will be a place to volunteer to be a coordinator in your area to help us. Um, there'll be, you know, a place where you can sort, you can submit your articles and videos. And uh, and then Jack, we're going to recruit you too. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to put together some of some of my kind of uh, getting started basics uh, podcasts and get them over to Stuart, and they've offered to uh, make those available to Oathkeeper members. So they're definitely yeah, a friend of the show. Whatever degree you want to be, to whatever degree you have time to get involved, I'd be happy to have you in there and help lead it. I'll, I'll do whatever I can to help you guys. I believe in what you're doing. That's why the day I found out about Oath Keepers, I became a member. Uh, it didn't take five minutes to make that determination. Um, I'm also, like as I said, I'm going to set up a Operation Sleeping Giant board uh, on our forum so that our forum members in our community can can, can work with you because, um, I mean, I, I actually look at, at your group, our group, and, and the Appleseed group is kind of really the, the the group of three communities that need to be working and talking uh, together oh, and, and working together. Yeah, and I, I definitely uh, advocate apple seed as something that people should do. One of the very first things they should do is do an apple seed, apple seed uh, shoot. Yeah, definitely. Because you won't just learn how to shoot, you'll learn why you're here in the first place. And how you right. In fact, I wrote, I wrote the Swat Magazine article on apple seed that they use as their brochure. That was, that was one of mine. So Very cool. It's amazing the synergies. Anyway, Stuart, I do appreciate you being with us here again today. You are always welcome back here at any time. And uh, if there's anything I can do to uh, further the Oath Keepers mission, you bet I'm going to do it. Appreciate that very much. I'll come on anytime you want. Great. Well, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Stuart Rhodes helping you figure out, out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
revolution is you.